Okay, you can be seated. Thank you so much, friends and family. Our kids, you guys can go ahead with Miss uh, Carrie and Miss Nicole going that way. Awesome. They're going to go next door and uh, for Kids Church. Yeah, if you got if, if you're missing a shoe, Angel, you, there's there's shoes there for you. You guys have fun this morning. You did so well and so great. Let's give it up for them one more time as they walk out. Awesome. Okay. All right, Ben. Also, we will have workers in the nursery as well. So if you've got uh, an infant or a baby, uh, we've got that for you as well. Kids do a great job and uh, so thankful for, uh, for Carrie and Nicole and all our children's workers, Anna Sullivan, and all our crew that has met uh, on Wednesday night. has been practicing for such a long time. And so a lot of our small groups meet on Wednesdays. And so uh, our kids and our students meet on Wednesdays as well. Thanks for being with us today. My name is Luke Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, as we, uh, as we begin a, a three-week series this morning called Behold, and we're going to look at who we're celebrating, and we're going to find out specifically this morning, as the kids sang, they, they sang about the baby, they sang about the son, they sang about Jesus, they sang about Christ, and it is so incredibly important as we approach the Christmas season that we know who we are talking about. Words matter, don't they? I was thinking through uh, some, some Christmas programs that I'd been a part of, and, and uh, you never know what happens when kids get on a stage. We, you know, we've got a, a, a back um, rail for them. I was a part of one children's, watching one children's uh, program at Highland growing up, and a kid fell off the back, and everybody was, and then he like popped back up and just kept singing, you know, like, like nothing happened. You know, another one was going on and uh, sleep in heavenly peace. And one child said, peace. And another child looked at him and said, no, peas, peas. <laughs> so you never know what might happen when, when kids get together. But they did great this morning. Words matter. And if we are going to celebrate this season, we need to know who we're talking about, don't we? So this morning, the title of the message is we think about beholding who we're beholding, we're going to look at this morning, behold who he is. Behold who he is. John chapter 1 is where we will start. We'll be there um, the next three weeks. This morning, we're going to look at uh, 1, 1 through 5. Next week, we will look at 6 through 13. And then uh, we will have uh, a great service on Christmas Eve in here. We'll have breakfast for you, um, some, some donuts, come a little early and hang out, coffee and donuts, and then we will all worship together on uh, Christmas Eve. We'll take the Lord's Supper together, and it'll be an amazing time. So please, uh, you're invited to that as well. John chapter 1, 1 through 5, let's read the text, pray, and then dive in. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, this one, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not 
overcome it. Father, we come to you, and we're so thankful this morning that we can listen to um, our children proclaim truths. And God, the fact of the matter is we're so thankful. Some of them may not even understand what they're proclaiming, and yet they're proclaiming it. And God, we pray as the truth that they've learned in Christmas songs over the last four months that, God, it would take root in their hearts. And Lord, we're thankful that you've already done this in some of them, Lord, but, but many of them not yet. And God, we pray um, in your grace, in your timing, in your perfect plan that, God, you will use that truth that's been taught by their parents on Wednesday nights, on Sunday mornings, and all throughout, that, God, those very truths that they just sang about, you would call them to yourself through that, God. Lord, we're thankful that you're, you're able and willing to do that. But, God, as we approach this passage this morning, we pray for our own hearts that you will help us to understand what's being said here and that none of us would have the wrong thoughts about Jesus as we approach celebrating his birth, the reason he was born was to come and live a perfect life and die in our place for our sin, to rise again so that anyone, no matter what they've been through or what they've done, can find forgiveness and reconciliation and salvation with God. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help this morning as, uh, as we look at the word, help it to be clear and, and help me as I try to teach it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Behold who he is. As we read that, if you're familiar with the Bible, that beginning phrase, in the beginning, has a lot of Old Testament significance because how does the Bible begin? The Bible begins, check this out, not with an explanation of God, his origin, where he came from, how he got there. It begins with a declaration of who God is. The biblical writers assume that God's already always been there. He's already there. He's always been there. And what's amazing here is John begins his gospel the same way. We have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark begins by taking us to the beginning of Jesus' ministry as an adult. Luke's gospel begins with taking us back before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a few months earlier, with another guy named John the Baptist how he is born. So Mark begins at the beginning of Jesus' adult ministry. Luke begins a few months before Jesus is born. Matthew's gospel begins by taking us all the way back in the Old Testament to Abraham. John does something entirely unique. He doesn't take us back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry or Jesus' physical life on earth or all the way back to Jesus' physical lineage. John takes us all the way back before there was a beginning so that he can introduce to us who Jesus is. And what we're looking at this morning has been called by some as a literary masterpiece. John putting forward exactly as all scripture, but to clearly tell us who Jesus is, who he has in mind. And over the next three weeks, we want to put forward who the scripture teaches Jesus is so that, guess what? All throughout this Christmas season, when our minds and our hearts and our souls rally around and look to this mystery called Christmas, that our response will be, oh God, who are we that you would send this one? And what's amazing is, as we get caught up in the season, we've got to check ourselves to make sure that we're not 
putting ourselves at the center and worshiping ourselves, but that we're putting Jesus in the middle. And I hope this morning you will see that although we're mortal, this one is immortal. Although we are finite, this one is infinite. And although we have a beginning and the end, this one did not. All right, I got to give you a little disclaimer. We're going to we're going to have a little more time in the first major truth and then major truth 2 and 3 we'll we'll kind of move through. You're saying Luke you're preaching that's impossible. Okay, we'll we'll just see, okay? Let just early Christmas gift. Just listen. I I do want for us to go a little deeper this morning for this simple reason. When we say the name Jesus, I want a biblical knowledge of that coming to our hearts and minds. Not a cultural, not even a southern Christendom definition. This is not the Jesus of cultural religion or the Jesus that we have little nice thoughts about. This is the one that John says was before the beginning. I want you to see first this morning, it's already on the screen, that Jesus Christ is the eternal word. Jesus Christ is the eternal word. Now, we're going to come back to it in just a moment, but notice three times in verse one, the word word is used. We'll come back to that in just a minute and and unpack that. But it says here, that Jesus is the eternal word. And what I mean by that, I want you to see first, is that the word, whatever the word is, we'll get into that in just a moment, the word is uncreated. Meaning that whatever the word is, or whoever the word is, he has eternally existed. Now, I'm not trying to nerd out on you, but we got a little new toy here this week at Crosspoint, and I I, want to show you some certain things in John's Greek text in order for you to be able to appreciate, I guess that's probably the, be- the better word, what John is saying here, okay? So, so Dilo, let, let's go to the Greek, okay? Now, hopefully this will work. It may not work. Let's see if it works. Oh, it does work. Awesome. So the, the toy is I have my iPad up here, and we're going to look at something. So right here, on, um, on the left side of the screen, you've got the English, obviously. That's what's in your Bible. I want you to notice, here we are. Word, word, word. Did it work? It worked. All right, here we go. In the Greek, on the right, this is the word logos. We'll come out to that in just a minute, okay? So notice I've got word and then the Greek on the right. Now, I want you to notice a verb. And it's this verb, ain, three times. I'm going to highlight it in blue. It's this English word, was. Now, in the Greek... This word, ain, that I've highlighted in blue, is in what's called the imperfect tense. And what's, what's the big deal about that? It speaks of continuous action in past time. Now, I want you to notice that John uses it three times. Now, this is really important because throughout John 1, except in one place, in speaking that Jesus took on flesh, John uses this word to describe Christ, this verb to describe what Jesus was doing. Why is that important? Now, when we speak of we were doing something, you were hunting, that didn't imply that for the last, well, maybe for some of you, the last (laughs) 31 days, which would put you breaking the law. We won't talk about that this morning, but let's just say the last two weeks. If we say you were hunting, apart from maybe two or three of you, no one in this room would say, well, he was hunting 24 hours a day. He was hunting every moment. He didn't even come down 
to go about his business. He's been in that tree. Still check this out. I would still be speaking of a relative time frame within two weeks. But if most of us would say, well, he was hunting, well, that, you know, he went for three hours, four hours. If he took a turkey sandwich, was in there for seven hours. And some of, your, some of y'all, you know, just want to start waving and saying, hey, that's somebody I know. You don't have to do that this morning. I want you to notice how John uses this verb was. He uses it in the context of something going on. Check this out. In the beginning. John is saying that at the beginning, something was already taking place. And what was taking place? (laughs) The word was already there. Now, go all the way back. Someone was like, dude, I can't even remember past last week. Try. Two weeks ago. Two months ago. Two years ago. (laughs) Two decades ago. None of us were here 200 years ago. And John says... Go all the way back before space and time and matter begin, and guess what was happening already there? The word was. Now, now we are entering into a category that should really shake us in our bones because whoever he's talking about is not like us. Right? Go all the way back, and guess what? He's already there. So whoever the word is, He's uncreated. He has eternally existed. Secondly, I want you to see this. Not only is the word uncreated, the word is distinguished from God. The word is distinguished from God and yet has a personal relationship with God. Look at your English. Just, just, we can leave the notes up, write that down, but, but just look at your English. Notice this. The word was with God and the word was God. Now that's interesting how can you be someone and be them? Somebody starts talking over themselves in plural pronouns. You start saying, hey, man, I got a counselor friend. Like, let's talk, you know, what's going on here? Like, you just sit down. You've been staying up all night. You're delirious. What's interesting here, whoever the word is, he's been around forever. At the beginning, he's already there. And yet here, he is with God. Let's go back to the Greek. This word that I'm going to circle, maybe put a box around, pros. It's our English word, with. If you are with someone, it implies that there's two people there. Now, (laughs) if we see two people eating lunch, they can be with each other without being with each other, right? I mean, they can be with each other and they can be like this, right? Not here to throw you under the bus. I'm just saying I'm guilty too. Uh, Lauren and I were eating dinner last night, and for, you know, about two minutes or one minute, we were checking something, and we were checking on something, and then we were talking about it, so we were both like this. And I was just like, dude, anybody walks in here, they're going to say, like, look at that guy. Like, he's not talking to his wife. We were with each other, but we weren't with each other. What's pretty cool here is that in the Greek, you have the logos, which is the word, and he is continually with someone. Who is he with? Your English says, God. Notice here, this in the Greek is a definite article. So it's almost like he is with the God. It's implied that there's only one God. 
And so whoever this word is, at the beginning he's already there, but check this out. He is with the God. Now, when you had in Greek, in this context, a, a pros, a, a with, it wasn't just I'm here, you're here, we're shoulder to shoulder, we're existing beside each other. It was much more than that. Proston theon in this context literally means that those two people that are with each other are turned face to face and they have personal relationship with one another. What? John's talking about somebody that go all the way back to the beginning. Guess what? He's already there. And what is he doing when he's already there? He is face to face in living, ongoing, personal fellowship and relationship with the God. So again, we're in a category here, somebody that's not like us. So the word is not only distinguished from God, but in eternal relationship with God. Third, I want you to see, not only is he with God, the word, check this out, has eternally not just been with God, he has been God. Now this is wild. Hold on. He's been around forever. Yep. And what has he been doing forever? Well, he's been face-to-face with God. But, but John says it's not enough. Check this out. You need to understand that that one that's been around forever, that's been face-to-face with God, he himself is God. <laughs> now, this is where it gets wild. Go back to the Greek, please. <clears throat> Notice this. Now, if we do a literal translation of the Greek, it would say, And God, theos, was the word. But Greek doesn't operate like English. Word order doesn't matter. The way that a word ends or that a word is inflected tells you, or where the article is, tells you what the subject is. So notice, this word here, theos, does not have an article. This is is the word and. Now there's a reason to all this, y'all, okay? Just a minute, I promise. Just nerd out with me for a minute, okay? Notice that the word logos, word, has a definite article, ho, in front of it. Now, why is that important? John is telling you what the subject is. John is not saying God is the word. John is saying the word is God. Now, why is that important? If John were to tell us that God was the word, he would say, The only concept or all the concept of God would be found in this one called the Word. There'd be a problem there because John's going to write, and what's he going to tell us? He's going to tell us there's somebody called the Father. And he's going to tell us that there's somebody called the Spirit. If he said here, God was the Word, he would basically be unable to communicate that later in the book. So notice this one Greek article right here, Ho, Ho Lagos, So not God was the Word, but the Word was God tells us that this one who is face-to-face with God is also God, meaning there may be plurality in how God reveals himself and who he reveals himself as. Let's get to this word word real quick. I promise there's a meaning to all this. What, What is the Word? Let's go back below to the notes. We find out what John is trying to tell us is that the Word is God's personal self-communication to us. 
Lagos, in the Greek, was used in a lot of different places. It was used in a lot of different concepts. The, the Greeks thought that the Lagos was kind of this impersonal force that brought harmony to the universe. The Stoics thought Lagos was kind of rational, that it was the, uh, the, the logic kind of behind everything that existed. One commentator says it this way. As far back as the 5th century BC, the Lagos was understood to unify all things. There was a Greek philosopher named Philo. He used Lagos 1,300 times to link, check this out, the transcendent God and the physical world. So the Greeks had an idea that kind of the Lagos was kind of this like floating, nebulous, impersonal force that kind of glued the world together. And in Jewish mindset, there was this idea that the Lagos basically was in between the invisible and the visible. But in both cases, whatever the Lagos is, it's impersonal. John uses the word word, which in a Jewish mindset carries a lot of power, right? Where has God put his power? He's put it in his word. How did God create the universe? By his word. Where has God packaged his character and who he proclaims himself to be? Our words tell others what we're thinking. It tells others what we're feeling. It, it, it is expressive. And so John does this. Hey, Greeks, you think Lagos is an impersonal force that kind of harmonizes and unifies all things. And there's some Jewish thoughts out there that this Lagos is kind of the bridge between the invisible and the divisible and and you know from an old testament perspective god puts all of his power and his character in his name let me just tell y'all y'all got a hint of what's going on so let me just tell you what's really going on the actual lagos is someone who has always been he's always been with god and he is god and as we unfold our series in the next couple of weeks you're going to see John saying, the word is the one who came to communicate to us who God is. But he's not like a prophet that speaks on behalf of God. He speaks on behalf of God, but check this out. If you've seen him, you've seen God. Now, let me go one step further, because all this has got a point, I promise. If you remember when we were walking through Acts... What was the reason for the Jerusalem council? It's to get the gospel right, right? A lot of the epistles in the New Testament was to get the gospel right. We, we found out the second missionary of Paul would have been a failure had not <laughs> the gospel got right. Remember when the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And we all were like, praise God, he didn't say, you must be circumcised and follow the law of Moses, right? Because they got the gospel right. The, the gospel was believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. They preach repentance and they preach faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems as if the the attack of Satan in the first century was to try to get the gospel wrong. Get the gospel wrong, guess what? Can't preach it. It seems as if when the enemies of God, spiritually I'm talking about, when, when they lost on the content of the gospel, it seemed to be the next four centuries the attack began to be on the person of Jesus. Because if you get Jesus wrong, guess what? Doesn't matter what you get right. Over the first four centuries of the church, there began to be heresies that arose up 
and begin to teach, even sometimes crazy popular stuff, wrong teachings about Jesus. Now, I want to walk you through a few of these, and then we're going to come back to John 1, because you'll see the same things going on right now, all right? Here are some heresies in the early church in the first four centuries, okay? Big words, no worries, we'll walk through them. There was one that was in the first century and even the second century called Ebionism. Now check this out. All of these deal with the deity of Jesus. Is Jesus God? Is he worthy of worship? Who is he in his essence? Ebionism said Jesus is not God, but he's a good dude. He was used by God. He did miracles. And this was coming from a more of a Jewish mindset that would be so monotheistic, we dare not say that a man is God. We dare not say that somebody walked on this earth is God. But you know what? He's, he's a good guy, but he's not God. People today would say that, don't they? Yeah, I respect Jesus, and he fed poor people and loved on people, but I'm not willing to bow down and say he's God, right? There was another one called monarchianism, and it really took two forms. The first is what we would call dynamic monarchianism or adoptionism. Jesus is not God, but at his baptism, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and God adopted him. Hey, you're, you're part of, of, of me. You belong to me. But pre-baptism, Jesus just an ordinary dude walking around like us. So you see what that does? It denies the deity of Jesus. This next one's pretty interesting. You've probably heard of it. You just may not have known it as modalistic monarchianism, and that's okay. But check this out. It's also called modialism or sabellianism. This is what it says. God does not eternally exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's one God, and occasionally he'll show himself to be Father, and occasionally he'll show himself to be Son, and occasionally he'll show himself to be Holy Spirit, but Father and Son don't exist at the same time. Some of you may have heard that. There's people in our county, there's people in our state, there's people in our country, there's people all over the world that deny the Trinity. Now, this was going on like in 214 AD. What is it? It's a denial of the fact that Jesus is God. Now, why is that important? Now, think, think through this just for a second. What if John would have said God is the Word and not the Word was God? This would be correct. You know why it's not correct? Because John said, <laughs> the Word was God. This last one, interesting, called Arianism. Very popular at the end of the 3rd century, at the beginning of the 4th century. So much so, they had to have a council called the Council at Nicaea. Arius had this saying that he would say, there is a time when he was not. There was a time when the sun was not. And Arius spouted age-old heresy that the Father created Jesus at some time in the past. Jesus, great, wonderful. He's the greatest of the creation, but guess what? He's part of the creation. This is where you have guys like Athanasius and, and Nicholas, the real good old Saint Nick, right? They got thrown in jail and tortured and beat up. You know why? Because they said, there was a time that he is not as heresy. He has always been. The Council of Nicaea declared that Jesus wasn't created. He's not similar. He's the exact image of the Father. Now, now why is this important? Can we go back to the Greek just for a minute, Delo? And I'm going to have to bring this up. 
Yeah. We knew that was going to happen. We knew it. It's okay. That's on me, D-Lo. It disconnected. Bo, you said that was going to happen, didn't you? Well, it should be up now. No, that's me. There we go. Awesome. There's a reason for this. I want you to notice that our theology and belief about who came at Christmas is not based upon some opinion that somebody formed. It's not that there was some little rallying cry that we all just kind of gathered around. I want you to notice that our theology of who Jesus is is built upon verbs, articles, prepositions, that God wanted us to know who the Word is, and so He gave us an exact definition of who Jesus is in His Word. And you know what God is doing here? It's not just ain arche, in hologos, kai hologos, in proston theon, kai theos, in hologos. That's more than a Greek sentence. That is God equipping his church ahead of time for the next 400 years. Don't be deceived. He's not created. He's always been. Don't be deceived. He's not just a form of God. He's been face to face with God. Don't be deceived. There was not a time that he was not. He is God. And this is the amazing part to it. John 1 1 through 2 prophetically denounces every major heresy about Jesus for the first four centuries of the church ahead of time. You see that? I'm not going to hold my iPad up, but bring me a, bring me a Bible, please. This tells us who our God is. And what John wrote, this is, this is a masterpiece. Precise, exact language so that we would not be confused as to who God is. Sometimes we got to pitch our tent on the right hill and I will always die on the hill of who Jesus is. You know why John did this? Because when heresy comes and you start talking about a different Jesus, guess what? That Jesus can't come and live a perfect life. That Jesus can't come die and, and take on the wrath of God in the place for sinners. That Jesus is, is not accepted before God as a great high priest, but this Jesus is. He's the Word. He's the Word. Why is He the Word? To disclose who God is to us. Here you go. I, hope, I think you'll need that in a couple minutes. All right. Let, let's, let's move on. D-Lo, let's go back to the notes. John 1, 1 through 2, prophetically denounces every heresy that the church would face concerning who Jesus is. And you know what's going to be awesome when we get down to verse 14 on Christmas Eve? And whether we go through them or not, doesn't matter. You can, I'll give you a list. John 1.14 denounces ahead of time 
all the heresies that would come about who Jesus is as a man. And John didn't even know this. John just inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's writing articles and prepositions and nouns and, guess, and verbs, and guess what? God is saying, here you go. This is who my son is. Use this as the standard. And I would tell you right now, we, our hearts, are oftentimes manufacturing a false Jesus rather than submitting to the Jesus from the Scripture. Let me move through these last two truths fairly quickly. I want you to see, secondly, Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. He was in the beginning with God. John repeats it. This one, this one. He was in the beginning with God. Now notice verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This one, who before eternity was. This one that has eternally been face to face with God. This one who himself is God. Check this out. Everything finds its basis and source in him. What do I mean by that? All of creation came into being through him. All of creation. Every planet, every nova, supernova, every particle, all of creation came into being through him. Every bit of it. Now check this out. We're not talking God generic like some people in our culture do. Well, yeah, I believe in God and, you know, I believe that. Like, like we're talking about a specific person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who walked this earth for 30 years, who was born in the manger, who the children sang about this morning. That one is the one he's talking about. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made Without him, there was not anything made that was made. You, you look at everything that was created, everything that was made, and guess who's responsible for it? Jesus. See how our thoughts need to be lifted up about this Christ? What, what does this mean practically? Here it is. What this means is, is that Jesus is dependent upon nothing or no one, but all things and every person are dependent upon him. That's big. And, and isn't there a liberating freedom in that? Man, I don't even wake up at the right time, right? Turn my alarm off like four times and don't realize it. Hit snooze four times, right? Or sometimes we just turn the alarm off, wake up three hours later. This is the one that doesn't need sleep. He reigns in the heavens. This is the one from whom everything comes from. He's not dependent on us. He doesn't need us. John's saying you need him. You need him. A few scriptures, you can just write them down. I'll, I'll read them to you. A few scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. For us, there is one God, the Father, are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Why do we exist? Because of Jesus. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. Talking about Jesus. Now, this is, takes it to another level. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It doesn't mean, check this out, firstborn of all creation. It doesn't mean that like he was the first created. What it means is he rules and reigns, and he is the heir of all things as the firstborn. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible. Jesus is not just responsible for the visible domain, but everything invisible came from him. 
And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Paul also says, all things were created through him. And check this out. And for him. You know why Saturn has rings around it? Because it was created for Jesus. Why is the universe so big? Because he wants it that way. Why, is, why, why are there things that we will never see in our universe? Well, Jesus, you know, as a side note, he may not care whether or not you ever find it out. It was made for him, not you. And if you find a hold of it, guess what? It was found that way so that you could look to him. So you wouldn't be amazed. Look at what I found that you would look up and say, wow, what did you create? Look at this. When I look at the stars, Psalm 8 says, and I, I, I begin to ask this, oh, oh, Lord, what is man that you're mindful of him? The Bible says in Hebrews 1.3 that at this very moment, Jesus is upholding the universe, not with the pinkies or hands or biceps of his power, but by the word of his power. I was helping my father-in-law move a gun safe yesterday. One of those Black Friday deals. And y'all would be really scared if you saw how we rigged it up. A brick threshold, a, 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 a trailer, a tailgate, a dolly, and stupidity were all involved, okay? <laughs> and that thing slid. I needed more than my right arm. <laughs> Jesus just says, uphold. And the universe does what it's supposed to do. Finally, this morning, I want you to see, not only is he the creator of everything, but he's the source of spiritual life and light. In him was life. Again, him, who, this one, before all things. Before anything began, it was already there. This one face-to-face -face with God. This one who is God. He is the source of spiritual life and light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We're told that this one has life in himself. Check this out. Nobody gives him life. He possesses life. He's the one that distributes life. Not because he was given it, but because he possesses it. He says this throughout the book. I'm the resurrection and the... I am the way, the truth, and the... Just says the Father has life in himself, so he's also granted the Son to have life in himself. Because of who he is, and because all things come from him and proceed from him and were created for him, guess what? He's the one that has life. And so John's saying, hey, this one came down, and he's the one that can give life. I want you to see one more thing. Lilo, we'll stop here. To know him is to have eternal life. Not to know about him, not to be able to recite a few facts about him. See, John gives us this idea of who he is, this truth of who he is, so that we might know him. It's not enough to know about him. Later in the book, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the living God, in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He says over and over and over again, John in 1 John 5, he says, I write this so that you may know that you have eternal life. And God has put this life in his son. He who has the son has life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life because the only life there is is in the son. So check this out. 
Knowing him is not believing a certain number of facts about him. Knowing him is being infused with his life. That's why we talk about being born again, being raised from the dead, being converted, being raised with Christ. Because when somebody becomes a Christian, they personally receive the life of God from Jesus. And that's why they want to live differently. That's why they want to act differently. That's why they want to speak differently. That's when they get convicted when they don't do all those things. It's because there is a new principle inside of them. And notice it says, the life was the light of men. Jesus came to give light. He came to give light. He came to show us what life and light were all about. And notice how verse 5 ends. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Aren't you thankful that no matter how evil the age is, it can never extinguish who Jesus is? Aren't you thankful that no matter how bad your life may appear to be, that Jesus is ultimately victorious over all things? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living because he lives. When I don't feel like living, guess what? He lives. And what's so amazing about it is that this one, at the beginning, already existed. What was he doing? He was face-to-face in relationship with God. And yet this one, for all eternity, is God. He condescended. He took on flesh. God here in person. Hail his majesty. I want to leave you with a C.S. Lewis quote. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity, and I think it's appropriate as we reflect on John 1 this morning. It's a long quote, but here we go. Christ says that he is humble and meek, and we believe him. Not noticing that if he were merely a man, humility and meekness are the very last characteristics we could attribute to some of his sayings. I mean, after all, if you ask somebody, where are you from? He says, I came down from heaven. What? Like, I'm it. If you want to know the Father, you got to go through me. So you walk up to somebody, hey, man, how you doing? You know, how are you? And they reply back, I'm the light of the world. What? I'm the bread of life. Hey, what? Uh, you say you know Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. Before Abraham was, I am. Like, notice what Lewis is saying. If Jesus is only a man, we couldn't say that he was humble. We couldn't say that he was meek. Lewis continues, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. Quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Lewis continues, he would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, right? You, you, you said you're God? You said you're a Tyrannosaurus Rex? What? Lewis is like, it's like, be like somebody walking up to you, hey, I'm a poached egg. What? This man would be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either 
This man was and is the son of God or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. When we come to John 1, we almost hear Jesus asking the question he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then to follow up, he looks at each one of us and he says, who do you say that I am? You know who he is? He's always been. He's always been face to face with God and he's always been God. And in the fullness of time, he came down, condescended himself, took on flesh, lived in our place, died for our sin, buried, rose again, ascended back to the father and now rules and reigns as Lord of all. And he looks down at little people like us and he gives us time to repent and believe in him. What will you do with Jesus who's called the Christ? He has come and disclosed who God is. You say, God doesn't know how I feel. Yeah, he does. He sent Jesus. If you say, well, God doesn't think of me. Yes, he did. He sent Jesus. If you say, God doesn't love me, he sent Jesus, and Jesus died in your place for your sin. And this morning, behold who he is. As one man says, he's either a bad man, he's a madman, or he's the God man. Behold Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can hear children sing about Christ. And Lord, we can read the scripture and learn who Jesus is. God, our prayer, my prayer would be that our attitude of Christ would not just be a human or somebody nice and neat, but this great one who existed for all time and yet came into our time to save us. Lord, would you help us to die to our small thoughts about Jesus, our small love that we show him, our small worship that we give him, and that Christ would be our passion, Lord, our life. Father, thank you for sending the Son into the world. Thank you for crafting your perfect plan where sin would be judged, the devil would be defeated, the grave would be robbed, and yet, Lord, we could be saved because you put it all on your son. You crushed him, Lord, that we would be spared. You judged him that we might be saved. And Lord, he just didn't pop down on a Tuesday afternoon and do something. He lived here among us. He empathized with us. He, he faced temptation. Lord Jesus, thank you that you laid aside your glory. You came down here out of love, love for the glory of God and love for us. The one who had no needs came like us in every way. Holy Spirit, thank you that you take what Jesus has done, and you work it in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, humbly, that in the people that know you this morning, that adoration and love for Jesus would, would rise up. More than just emotions, but Lord, our will. We'd love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'd love our neighbor as ourself, God. We would love you to the point we would do whatever you ask us to do. Big, small, in the middle, whatever it is, out of who we know you to be. 
Oh, great triune God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word. Thanking you, thank you, Lord, for, for making yourself known to us. As we sit before the Lord this morning in an attitude of prayer, just what are you going to do with Jesus? Religion can't save you. Organized religion can't save you. Sitting in a worship service can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And this one who stepped out of time, who existed before everything, he's willing to forgive your sin this morning. If you don't know him, talk to one of us. Justin and I will be at the back of the room. We'll hang out after. If you need prayer, if you're struggling with something, come hit us up. This one who all things come from, he's able to sustain you and strengthen you and help you this morning. Let's stand. Let's sing this together. Familiar song. He came for the unfaithful. We can bow before him and worship him this morning. Luke and JJ, you guys lead us.